Chapter seventy nine of Thomas Wingfold Curate. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Thomas Wingfold Curate by George MacDonald. Chapter seventy nine The Wandering Jew. It was midnight and sultry as hell. All day not a breath had stirred. The country through which I passed was level as the sea that had once flowed above it. My heart had almost ceased to beat, and I was weary as the man who is too weary to sleep outright, and labours in his dreams. I slumbered and yet walked on. My blood flowed scarce faster than the sluggish water in the many canals I crossed on my weary way. And ever I thought to meet the shadow that was and was not death. But this was no dream. Just on the stroke of midnight I came to the gate of a large city, and the watchers let me pass. Through many an ancient and lofty street I wandered, like a ghost in a dream, knowing no one, and caring not for myself, and at length reached upon an open space where stood a great church, the cross upon whose spire seemed bejeweled with the stars upon which it dwelt. And in my soul I said, O Lord Jesus, and went up to the base of the tower, and found the door thereof open to my hand. Then with my staff I ascended the winding stairs, until I reached the open sky. And the stairs went still winding, on and on, up towards the stars. And with my staff I ascended, and arose into the sky, until I stood at the foot of the cross of stone. Ay, me! How the centuries, without haste, without rest, had glided along since I stood by the cross of dishonour and pain! And God had not grown weary of his life yet, but I had grown so weary in my very bones that weariness was my element, and I had ceased almost to note it. And now, high uplifted in honour and worship over every populous city, stood the cross among the stars. I scrambled up the pinnacles, and up on the carven stem of the cross, for my sinews were as steel, and my muscles had dried and hardened, until they were as those of the tiger or the great serpent. So I climbed, and lifted up myself, until I reached the great arms of the cross, and over them I flung my arms, as was my wont, and entwined the stem with my legs, and there hung three hundred feet above the roofs of the houses." and as I hung the moon rose and cast the shadow of me a Hajuerus upon the cross, up against the Pleiades. And as if dull nature were offended thereat, nor understood the offering of my poor sacrifice, the clouds began to gather, like the vultures, no one could have told whence. From all sides around they rose, and the moon was blotted out, and they gathered and rose until they met right over the cross. And when they closed, then the lightning brake forth, and the thunder with it, and it flashed and thundered above and around and beneath me, so that I could not tell which voice belonged to which arrow, for all were mingled in one great confusion and uproar. And the people in the houses below heard the sound of the thunder, and they looked from their windows, and they saw the storm raving and flashing about the spire, which stood the heart of the agony, and they saw something hang there, even upon its cross, in the form of a man, and they came from their houses, and the whole space beneath was filled with people, who stood gazing up at the marvel. A miracle, a miracle, they cried. 
and truly it was no miracle, it was only me, Ahasuerus, the wanderer taking thought concerning his crime against the crucified. Then came a great light all about me, such light for shining as I had never before beheld, and indeed I saw it not all with my eyes, but the greater part with my soul, which surely is the light of the eyes themselves. And I said to myself, Doubtless the Lord is at hand, and he cometh to me as late to the blessed Saul of Tarsus, who was not the chief of sinners, but I, Ahasuerus, the accursed. And the thunder burst like the bursting of a world in the furnace of the sun. And whether it was that the lightning struck me, or that I dropped, as was my custom, outwearied from the cross, I know not. But thereafter I lay at its foot among the pinnacles, and when the people looked again, the miracle was over, and they returned to their houses and slept. And the next day, when I sought the comfort of the bath, I found upon my side the figure of a cross, and the form of a man hanging thereupon, as I had hung, depainted in a dark colour as of lead, plain upon the flesh of my side over my heart. Here was a miracle indeed, but verily I knew not whether therefrom to gather comfort or despair." and it was night as I went into a village among the mountains, through the desert places of which I had all that day been wandering, and never before had my condition seemed to me so hopeless. There was not one left upon the earth who had ever seen me, knowing me, and although there went a tale of such a man as I, yet faith had so far vanished from the earth that for a thing to be marvellous, however just, was sufficient reason wherefore no man, to be counted wise, should believe the same. For the last fifty years I had found not one that would receive my testimony. For when I told them the truth concerning myself, saying as I now say, and knowing the thing for true, that I was Ahasuerus, whom the word had banished from his home in the regions governed of death, shutting against him the door of the tomb that he should not go in, every man said I was mad, and would hold with me no manner of communication, more than if I had been possessed with a legion of swine-loving demons. Therefore was I cold at heart, and lonely to the very root of my being. And thus it was with me that midnight, as I entered the village among the mountains. Now all therein slept, so that even not a dog barked at the sound of my footsteps. But suddenly, and my soul yet quivers with dismay at the remembrance, a yell of horror tore its way from the throat of every sleeper at once, and shot into every cranny of the many-folded mountains, that my soul knocked shaking against the sides of my body, and I also shrieked aloud with the keen terror of the cry. For surely there was no sleeper there, man, woman, or child, who yelled not aloud in an agony of fear and I knew that it could only be because of the unseen presence in their street of the outcast, the homeless, the loveless, the wanderer forever, who had refused a stone to his Maker whereon to rest his cross. Truly I know not whence else could come that cry. And I looked to see that all the inhabitants of the village should rush out upon me, and go for to slay the unslayable in their agony. But the cry passed, and after the cry came again the stillness, and for very dread lest another such cry should enter my ears, and turn my heart to a jelly, I did hasten my steps to leave the dwellings of the children of the world, and pass out upon the pathless hills again. But as I turned and would have departed, 
the door of a house opened over against where I stood, and as it opened, lo, a sharp gust of wind from the mountains swept along the street, and out into the wind came running a girl, clothed only in the garment of the night. And the wind blew upon her, and by the light of the moon I saw that her hands and her feet were rough and brown, as of one that knew labor and hardship, but yet her body was dainty and fair, and molded in loveliness. Her hair blew around her like a rain-cloud, so that it almost blinded her, and truly she had much ado to clear it from her face, as a half-drowned man would clear from his face the waters whence he hath been lifted. And like two stars of light from amidst the cloud gazed forth the eyes of the girl. And she looked upon me with the courage of a child, and she said unto me, Stranger, knowest thou wherefore was that cry? Was it thou who did so cry in our street in the night? And I answered her and said, Verily not I, maiden, but I too heard the cry, and it shook my soul within me. What seemed it unto thee like? she asked, for truly I slept, and know only the terror thereof, and not the sound. And I said, it seemed unto me that every soul in the village cried out at once in some dream of horror. I cried not out, she said, for I slept and dreamed, and my dream was such that I knew verily I cried not out. And the maiden was lovely in her innocence. And I said, And was thy dream such, maiden, that thou wouldst not refuse, but wouldst tell it to an old man like me? And with that the wind came down from the mountain like a torrent of wolves, and it laid hold upon me, and swept me from the village, and I fled before it, and could not stay my steps, until I got me into the covert of a hollow rock. And scarce had I turned in thither, when, lo, thither came the maiden also, flying in my footsteps, and driven of the same self-mighty wind. And I turned in pity, and said, Fear not, my child, here is but an old man with a sore and withered heart, and he will not harm thee. I fear thee not, she answered, else would I not have followed thee. Thou didst not follow thee of thine own inclining, I said, but the wind that came from the mountains and swept me before it did bear thee after me. Truly I know of no wind, she said, but the wind of my own following of thee. Wherefore didst thou flee from me? Nay, but wherefore didst thou follow me, maiden? that I might tell thee my dream to the which thou didst desire to hearken. For, lo, as I slept, I dreamed that a man came unto me and said, Behold, I am the unresting and undying one, and my burden is greater than I can bear, for death who befriendeth all is my enemy, and will not look upon me in peace. And with that came the cry, and I awoke, and ran out to see whence came the cry, and found thee alone in the street." and as God liveth, such as was the man in my dream, such art thou in my waking sight. Not the less must I ask thee again, I said, wherefore didst thou follow me? That I may comfort thee, she answered. And how thinkest thou to comfort one whom God hath forsaken? That cannot be, she said, seeing that in a vision of the night he sent thee unto me, and so now hath sent me unto thee. Therefore will I go with thee, and minister unto thee. Bethink thee well what thou doest, I said, and before thou art fully resolved, sit thee down by me in this cave, that I may tell thee my tale. 
and straightway she sat down, and I told her all. And ere I had finished, the sun had risen. Then art thou now alone? said the maiden, and hast no one to love thee? No one, I answered, man, woman, or child. Then will I go with thee, for I know neither father nor mother, and no one hath power over me, for I keep goats on the mountains for wages, and if thou wilt but give me bread to eat, I will serve thee. And a great love arose in my heart to the maiden. And I left her in the cave, and went to the nearest city, and returned thence with garments and victuals. And I loved the maiden greatly. And although my age was then marvellous, being over and above a thousand and seven hundred years, yet found she my person neither pitiful nor uncomely, for I was still in body even such as when the Lord Jesus spake the word of my doom. And the damsel loved me and was mine, and she was as the apple of mine eye. And the world was no more unto me as a desert, but it blossomed as the rose of Sharon. And although I knew every city upon it, and every highway and navigable sea, yet did all become to me fresh and new, because of the joy which the damsel had in beholding its kingdoms and the glories thereof. And it came to pass that my heart grew proud within me, and I said to myself that I was all superior to other men, for death could not touch me, that I was a marvel upon the face of the world, and in this yet more above all men that had ever lived, that at such an age as mine I could yet gain the love, yea, the absolute devotion, of such an one as my wife, who never wearied of my company and conversation. So I took to me even the free grace of love as my merit unto pride, and laid it not to the great gift of God and the tenderness of the heart of my beloved. Like Satan in heaven, I was uplifted in the strength and worthiness and honour of my demon self, and my pride went not forth in thanks, for I gloried not in my God, but in Ahasuerus. Then the thought smote me like an arrow of lightning. She will die, and thou shalt live, 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 and as he hath delayed, so will he yet delay his coming. And as Satan from the seventh heaven, I fell prone. Then my spirit began to revive within me, and I said, Lo, I have yet many years of her love ere she dieth, and when she is gone, I shall yet have the memory of my beloved to be with me, and cheer me and bear me up, for I may never again despise that which she hath loved, as she hath loved me. And yet again a thought smote me, and it was as an arrow of the lightning, and its barb was the truth. But she will grow old, it said, and will wither before my face, and be as the waning moon in the heavens. And my heart cried out in agony. But my will sought to comfort my heart, and said, Cry not out, for in spite of old age, as in spite of death, I will love her still. Then something began to writhe within me, and to hiss out words that gathered themselves unto this purpose. But she will grow unlovely, and wrinkled, and dark of hue, and the shape of her body will vanish, and her form be unformed, and her eyes will grow small and dim, and creep back into her head, and her hair will fall from her, and she will be as the unsightly figure of death with a skin drawn over his unseemly bones. And the damsel of thy love, with the round limbs and the flying hair, and the clear eyes out of which looketh a soul clear as they, will be nowhere, nowhere for evermore, for thou wilt not be able to believe that she it is who standeth before thee, 
how will it be with thee then? And what mercy is his who hath sent thee a growing loss in the company of this woman? Thereupon I rose in the strength of my agony and went forth. And I said nothing unto my wife, but strode to the foot of the great mountain, whose entrails were all aglow, and on whose sides grew the palm and the tree-beard and the nut of milk. And I climbed the mountain, nor once looked behind me, but climbed to the top. And there for one moment I stood in the stock dullness of despair, and beneath me was the great fiery gulf, outstretched like a red lake skinned over with black ice, through the cracks wherein shone the blinding fire. Every moment here and there a great liquid bubbling would break through the crust, and make a wallowing heap upon the flat, then sink again, leaving an open red well-pool of fire whence the rays shot up like flame, although flame there was none. It lay like the back of some huge animal upheaved out of hell, which was wounded and bled fire. Now, in the last year of my long sojourn, life had again, because of the woman that loved me, become precious unto me, and more than once I had laughed as I caught myself starting back from some danger in a crowded street, for the thing was new to me, so utterly had the care of my life fallen into disuse with me. But now again in my misery I thought no more of danger, but went stalking and sliding down the cindery slope of the huge fire-cup, and out upon the lake of molten earth, molten as when first it shot from the womb of the sun, of whose ardour, through all the millions of years, it had not yet cooled. And as once St. Peter on the stormy water to find the Lord of life, so walked I on the still lake of fire, caring neither for life nor death. For my heart was withered to the roots by the thought of the decay of her whom I loved. For would not then her very presence every hour be causing me to forget the beauty that had once made me glad? I walked some ten furlongs, and passed the middle of the lake, when suddenly I bethought me that she would marvel whither I had gone, and set out to seek me, and something might befall her, and I should lose my rose ere its leaves had begun to drop. And I turned and strode again in haste across the floor of black heat, broken and seamed with red light. And lo, as I neared the midst of the lake, a form came towards me, walking in the very footsteps I had left behind me, nor had I to look again to know the gracious motion of my beloved. And the black ice broke at her foot, and the fire shone up on her face, and it was lovely as an angel of God, and the glow of her love outshone the glow of the nether fire. And I called not to stay her foot, for I judged that the sooner she was with me, the sooner would she be in safety, for I knew how to walk thereon better than she. And my heart sang a song within me in praise of the love of woman, but I thought only of the love of my woman to me, whom the fires of hell could not hold back from him who was worthy of her love. And my heart sent the song up to my lips. But, as the first word arose, sure itself a red bubble from the pit of glowing hell, the black crust burst up between us, and a great hillock of seething, slow-spouting, slow-falling, mad-red fire arose. For a moment or two the molten mound bubbled and wallowed, then sank, and I saw not my wife. Headlong I plunged into the fiery pool at my feet, and the clinging torture hurt me not, and I caught her in my arms and rose to the surface, 
and crept forth and shook the fire from mine eyes and lo i held to my bosom but as the fragment of a cinder of the furnace and i laughed aloud in my madness and the devils below heard me and laughed yet again o age o decay i cried see how i triumph over thee what canst thou do to this and i flung the cinder from me into the pool and plunged again into the grinning fire but it cast me out seven times and the seventh time i turned from it and rushed out of the valley of burning and threw myself on the mountain side in the moonlight and awoke mad and what i had then said in despair i said yet again in thankfulness o age o decay i cried what canst thou now do to destroy the image of her which i bear nested in my heart of hearts that at least is safe i thank god and from that hour i never more believed that i should die when at length my body dropped from me if the thought came it came as a fear and not as a thing concerning which a man may say i would or i would not for a mighty hope had arisen within me that yet i should stand forgiven in the eyes of him that was crucified and that in token of his forgiveness he would grant me to look again but in peace upon the face of her that had loved me o mighty love who can tell to what heights of perfection thou mayest yet rise in the bosom of the meanest who followeth the crucified End of chapter seventy nine